0: At some point other people's opinions of us are none of our business right and it's tough when people make it your business in ministry if if they don't understand mental illness as a believer then then there's a whole other thing that that we need to talk about right because we recognize as believers that the fall impacts us physically emotionally spiritually and relationally and in all of those areas we can be broken and, and mental health is part of that so our theology sets us up to recognize that mental health is struggles are a thing And if that's the thing we're dealing with, we need to get help with that thing. And it's okay.
1: On the show today, we have Dr. Heidi Warner. We met at a conference in Colorado, which is one of our favorite places. Yes, it was. And I just remember being backstage and thinking, we should have her on the show.
0: Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. So my name is Heidi Warner. I'm a clinical psychologist here in Des Moines, Iowa, and I am in private practice. I only work about, I work part-time, and I see kids, families, and adults. And my specialty really is helping people integrate their faith into their mental health healing. Hmm.
2: So what was the topic you were talking about out in Colorado when we met? Because that's what I found fascinating. Um, mental health in teens. Mm-hmm. What we were telling you is yes. that how in the glass house so often um, parents are struggling. I mean, their teenagers are struggling, and they don't know what to do because they are they don't know how to handle it.
0: And it's hard because as believers, we know on one hand we're not supposed to be anxious, right? Yep. But we know that we do get anxious. And one of the things I love about what I get to do is I get to help bridge that gap for people between, okay, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling with relationships— But I know God has this over here, which is better, and it's healthy and it's holy, um, but how do I get there, Mm -hmm. right? And so I get to help people slow down and fill in that gap about what are the tools and practices that get me from this struggle into a place of hope and healing.
1: Since you specialize in talking about limitations, and particularly with mental health limitations, that we we had some questions here that we think would be really helpful Mm -hmm. for our our listeners. So the first one is we had a uh, couple on in ministry, uh, Derwin and Vicky Gray, back uh, in an early episode. We'll put that in the show notes, mm-hmm. and they were basically confessing that Vicky, for years, overfunctioned. She was very yeah. involved in the church and she was doing everybody else's ministry mm-hmm. and realized that she doesn't have to do everything, and she was melting down.
2: Yeah. Well, and honestly, she was robbing other people of their gifts when she was trying to do everything, and so other people weren't go- able to to flourish in ministry
3: because we're athletes and, and like you, Lindley, just this this hard work, don't give up, high responsibility, blue collar blue collar, like I'm gonna make this work, and so there's no balls dropping on my watch, right? Well, I begin to overfunction. <laughs> um. People I think are happy to let me over function because that's less off of them. Right. But it just created this dysfunction. I actually went into a couple years, didn't even know it for probably about two years that I went into like a clinical depression. Um, because there was also some friendship issues on our team that I was caught in the middle of that. I, I was just stuck. And all I could do was pray and cry and ask God to like, do something huge because she's such a uh she owns things and once she gets going she goes and it it wasn't the support or the yeah. help and and so yeah you know there, there there was um um there hasn't been like well Vicky's not doing this because pe- Yeah. it it's it's more of what's said behind our backs to undermine our
4: character. It's good.
3: Yeah. Yeah and so I think like for for me Part of the hurt I felt in that scenario was, does he not, because, you know, you said the thing about, I'm just Darwin Gray's wife. I'd be like, okay, you're the lead pastor. Do you not think I can do this? Like, I have this ownership too, you know? And then he'd be like, you're in too deep. You can't see that you're in too deep. And I would take that as like, like an attack that I'm not capable. What I've realized is my over-functioning is causing someone else to under-function. Yeah. And that's very dangerous, yeah. right? Um, and in that process, and and this this also goes back to the hurt because when this situation happened three or four years ago, I felt so betrayed, so angry, so hurt. And I remember one morning up early praying and journaling, and I was just like, Lord, how th- like this hurts so bad. How could anyone? do this and i really sensed you know not the audible voice but i sensed the impression of well you're so hurt because you were doing it for them and not for me Mm -hmm. and um and really we got to a point where i actually took a month off saw went to the doctor etc we had some conversations because it was threatening to tear us apart and um had some. I have a, an incredible mentor who I talked with, and she, she reminded me, "You are not Transformation Church. You are the beloved of Jesus." Had we have not gone through what we went through three to four years ago, I would be in a fetal position on the floor, unable to move. But I said, because I saw God show up in that deep pain and do what he did. I know he's got us. Like I literally get in the car and the song that's playing is, if our God is for us, who can be against us? I don't even know the name of it, but you know what song I'm talking about. And literally I'm thinking of the scripture. If God is for you, who can be against you? And I have a deeper and a thicker resolve that is rooted in God's sovereignty, God's control, God's plan. This is God's church. It's not even our church. And if he doesn't want us here, then we're going like, okay, we'll go. And so, but had we have not gone through that painful season of hurt, I, we wouldn't be able to handle the most, what we're in right now.
1: So how do you identify that you're living outside the means of your energy and, and your gifting?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Like you said, it's so, so easy to do. I think some things to to look for in yourself are, are you um, multitasking all the time? Are you looking to try to sneak in phone calls while you're making dinner? Are you, hmm. are you responding to people in the car during your drive time, right? So if you're feeling that pressure to multitask, are you sitting down to eat or are you eating on the go, right? Um, are you forgetting things? So, you know, maybe you used to be able to keep your schedule in your head, but now you find you're missing appointments or you're double booking, you're having to apologize a lot. Um, Also watching for some of those emotional cues um, like resentment, right? So, you know, you've got your schedule, you're doing your things, maybe you're resenting um, your coworker who asked for that one more thing. Or maybe you're resenting your family um, because they need you, and you're like, you can't, you can't need me. I'm needed by all these other people. I need you to not need me. So as those emotions bubble up, some of that resentment, right? Um, just paying attention to that to that and saying, hey, wait a minute, what's what's going on here? Also, if your spouse or family members are telling you you're overworking, um, also pay attention to that, and that might be one to to kind of laugh about. But oftentimes, if we're overworking, um, someone in our life is trying to tell us that. Hmm right? Um, And maybe it's our spouse actually saying those words, or maybe it's a child who's acting up because they need more of our attention.
1: I love this idea of having a family meeting and me just declaring, I need everybody to not need me.
2: (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I, f- I feel like they always ask for mom first, anyway. So well, I think we, you've got that covered. <laughs> still, maybe we
1: can do it together. We need you but, to not need us.
2: Yes, kids are thermometers, uh-huh. right? So they're going
0: to tell the temperature of your family um, before anybody else is going to. So if your kids seem extra needy, um, that maybe be a sign. That might be a sign that they're saying, "Hey, you need to be here more," and then maybe I will need you less.
2: Okay, I have a question for you, and I actually I mean this very seriously. How many times? Uh-huh. Has it gone over well that somebody tells a spouse, I think you're overworking, and it's received? Like, how do you say that to your spouse and then receive it? A pretty, yes. I mean, pretty much never, right? That's hard.
0: And so we have to slow. like, how do we get in that place, right? We get there from good intentions. Nobody's overworking because they want to run their family into the ground, right? We're overworking because we have these beliefs about ministry and we have these beliefs about things we should be doing. I should be at all of the events. I should be overseeing this, right? So we can't correct the problem until we look at um, how am I defining what I need to be doing, right? How am I um, judging myself for success? If you're defining su- success by I have to be at all the things, then you're going to be at all the things, right? And, mm-hmm. and you can't change that behavior because then what you're going to experience is, well, I'm, I'm not being successful. And until you identify that belief that's leading to that behavior, it's going to
1: be really, really hard to change, I want to ask a higher question, even like pull the plane up a little bit higher about just yeah. why do we feel like we need to be successful? Like, how do we begin to kind of analyze that of like, what am I really chasing here that's at the root of this thing?
0: I mean, that's such a great question, right? <laughs> and, and oftentimes it takes us looking at, like I mean, that's different for everybody, right? And a lot of times it goes back to our family of origin. Um, what are they saying? success is? Do they say you're only okay if you get straight A's? Did you have an older brother or sister who overachieved and you've been trying to prove yourself because you feel like a failure if you're not overachieving? Um, We all get here honestly Hmm. out of our wounds and we have to slow down and say, okay, maybe I don't understand all of how I got here, but what is a definition of success? And then slowing down and saying, success means being fully present with my family. It means slowing down. It means having a sabbatical. It means stepping back and letting someone else do the work.
1: Which hmm. is a great exercise to really do as the foundational start of this whole journey of just sit down and really think, what what is success look like and how am I defining it? How do I want to define it?
0: Yes. I was reading uh, one of my favorite books is Emotionally Healthy Leadership by Peter Scarzo, and he says, you can be growing and failing at the same time.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Right. And so we can be doing all the things and still maybe even missing it if we're not paying attention to um, gospel living in loving our family well and investing in them and recognizing I can't be at all the things. Mm. I can be at some of the things, but not all the things, and that's actually okay.
2: Um, With your specialty in mental health um, and the listener audience base that we have, how do we teach our children how to do this from the start. I mean, I think there's kind of a crisis right now of um, mental health in both youth and adults, but how do we teach our children, you know, how to uh, understand boundaries and limits? Because like my experience is that we just put boundaries on their phones, like we put time limits on them, but they're not sure. learning then. They're just, when the times are on that run out, they're done. And so like, then they leave and go to college and they have no boundaries and they don't even know how to create them.
0: Such a great challenge. And and once you figure it out, maybe let me know. I'm a little bit farther (laughs) behind you in parenting, right? Uh, I I think it is helpful to think about parenting as not just being about controlling behavior, but about shaping thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're wanting our kids to learn how to manage their cell phone use, right? Really, that's about how do you manage social interactions? How do you manage um, self-discipline? And so thinking about, are there ways where we can both create opportunities for them to practice that's maybe not even about social media right so so maybe they have 5 birthday parties to go to in a month and they want to go to all of them and we're like mm, you should think about that that might be too much um let's have you stay home, right? Or or maybe they're overwhelmed because they're going to youth group every week on Wednesday and Sunday night and you can see them getting stressed out and you have a conversation with them about, you know what, these, these are all great things to be here at church. You know, the doors are open. We love being there. Um, but maybe you need a night off, right? So how do we... Um, step back from just controlling their behavior about risky things, and help them start thinking about okay, what type of person are you? Right? Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Uh, if you have more than one child, you know that that personalities are different. One child might be more extroverted um, and might be able to be out doing all the activities, and they might be more tempted by social media. You might have an introverted child who gets overwhelmed by all the things, you know, the the events, um, but then maybe doesn't even care about social media because that's not their thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So helping them learn to start thinking about taking care of themselves emotionally. Is it saying yes? Is it saying no? And then how do you manage that?
1: Hmm. So we want to ask you like some very specific questions that we've been asked that we're like, we should ask Dr. Heidi that. Uh, We're going to get to those in just a second. But before we do, when... If you're out there and you're listening to this and you really do struggle with limitations, what are some of your favorite resources? You mentioned, you mentioned Pete's Cazero, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Are there others that, that you think of?
0: Uh, that one is really good, so I want to emphasize that one. Please read that book. It's okay. a great place to start. Um, also, any books about boundaries. So Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend is really good. Lisa Turker's book, The Best Yes. Um, There's a book called Margin. Um, I don't remember who wrote that. But any book that helps you think through um, how can healthy boundaries be about more than just saying no? Healthy boundaries um, is also about saying yes well. And sometimes healthy boundaries isn't about necessarily changing your behavior. It's about your internal experience of of a choice that you're making, right? Either you own it or, or you're resentful because you're doing that. That's um, really good. Another really important resource is... Just trusted accountability. Who's the person in your life where you've read these books, you've got these ideas that can help you apply them? Um, we can read all the self-help books we want, but if we don't have someone who can help us hold up that mirror and say, okay, here's where I think this is relevant to you, here's your blind spots, um, then and then we can keep reading and we're still going to be stuck, right? So
2: who do you recommend for that, for the pastor listening who actually doesn't have anyone to hold him accountable, um, who maybe won't go see a therapist or a counselor or, d- or would prefer not to? Like, who do you recommend? At some point, we have to
0: choose to be vulnerable. But as pastors, especially, you're in a tough spot because you're, you, it's such a visible, such a visible ministry, right? So I would say um, reaching out to um, people um, through your networks and seeing if they have a coach, maybe. Um, at some point, you're going to have to choose to be vulnerable. If you don't like the idea of going to a therapist, um, there's actually benefits to coming to see us. We're not going to show up at your Sunday dinner table, Right, like, like there are benefits of going to see someone um, who's not in your circle, where their only job is to listen to you. And sometimes, you know, in ministry, you have so many dual relationships. Right, the people that you're pastoring about their, you know, counseling about their marriage, are also the people who are volunteering at your activity on Sunday. That's hard.
1: We were recently with some college age kids uh, doing some mentoring with them at a camp, and we were letting them ask us any question they wanted to ask, and one. One young lady asked us this question, Mm -hmm. and we we made a mental note we want to ask you. My parents were church planners, and our family moved to start a church. It did not go well, and everyone in our family was suffering. I wrestled with bitterness because I felt like my parents were more concerned about the church than the health of our family. When do you call it quits, and when do you endure? Mm,
0: That's such a tough question because her parents— Maybe we're putting the health of the church over the health of their family. Right. And I think this, again, goes back to as you are a family in ministry, um, how, what's your, the hierarchy that you hold um, for that ministry, right? So, you've got God, and then family has to be before your ministry, Right? Ultimately, we're most responsible to God for the health of our family and for the stewardship of our children. And if we have thriving churches and, and suffering families, that's just a really tough spot to be in. So um, I would say pay attention to that. Uh, one of the things that I say a lot is let's just talk about it. Right. Let's just use more words. More words are, is always better. Right, checking in with your family, um, asking your kids how they feel about things, and then trying to find that balance between we know that suffering and hard times are are a part of our spiritual walk, and so we we don't want to bail right away, right? just the first time something gets hard, and we know we can't protect our kids from hard situations, and we don't actually want to. We want them to struggle when they're under our roof so we can help coach them and guide them through that, um, but at the same time, the cost might be really high, and so... If you're in that situation, um, trying to find someone you can talk it through with, trying to find someone who you bounce kind of the pros and cons um, off of. But ultimately, if your family is suffering, that might be an easy resignation letter
1: to write. Yeah. Hmm. How would you advise a family to do like family check-in? What does that look like?
0: I think before you can start a family check in process, I mean, we all love that idea, right? Much harder, much harder to implement. So before you can do that, I I would encourage um, parents to do their own kind of check in with that through that emotionally healthy spirituality, um, either the emotional healthy spirituality book or the emotionally healthy leadership book, um, because you want to make sure that you've looked at your own stuff enough that you can then come into your family and own your piece of it. We all have our piece of it. As, as parents, we all have our piece of the dynamic, and we need to make sure that we're a safe place for our kids to say, hey, mom and dad, this is actually really, really hard. Hmm. But unless we've done our work on that, we, we could maybe mess up that family check-in. But after you've done your work, right, you, you've got some ideas that that maybe, you know, you know how your personality is in, in impacting your kids, um, kind of checking in and and just saying, hey, we're going to do a family check-in. This is probably weird because we've never done it before. Again, I'm a big fan of saying things out loud that are just elephants in the room, right? Um, you guys might not all love it, but but here are the ground rules, right? Ground rules are you can say what you want with respect and we're going to take it seriously, mm-hmm. Right. If there's concerns that you have, one of my favorite questions um, for teenagers is, "What do you feel like I'm missing as your parent?"
4: Hmm.
0: Right? And if your kids say, "I don't know," "I don't know," "I don't want to talk about it," right? Then kind of backing up and saying, "Okay, what do you think most adults miss about most teenagers today?" So you're removing it a little bit further from their personal Hmm. experiences and making it much more general. Or um, what would you? What advice do you give other pastors' kids? Right, so you're removing it maybe from their um, personal experience, and you're trying to give them prompts that let them talk about their experiences. Um, teenagers are going to talk about what, what they know. right? So if you say, what advice would you give other pastor's kids? They're, they're going to share what they're thinking and experiencing. Hmm.
1: Can you counsel us for a minute since we have you on? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. We, are, we have four children, and uh-huh. one of our kids talks to Lindley all the time and tells her all uh-huh. kinds of things about his life. And then we get in a car and he says nothing to me. I've asked him multiple times if there's something going on between us, if I've hurt his feelings, whatnot. He just doesn't have much to say to me. Can you just help me understand why mm. I'm so insecure about that?
0: Sounds like you're, you're starting off right by checking in with him, right? One of the, one of the hard things about, about parenting is kids don't always have the insight we want them to have. Mm. Right. And so you want your child to have insight into why he's not talking to you. He might not understand. Yeah. Right. So, so instead I wonder about saying like, Hey, um, I love that you're close with your mom. I want, you to know, I would love to have that relationship with you. Um, I'd like us to work towards that and see, um, and maybe just acknowledge you might not understand what's going on between us, but if you ever do figure it out, come check in with me. Right. Let's mm-hmm. talk about it. Are there any things that you like to do with him? Right. So sometimes um it's easier to chat with mom. Right. And then maybe dad's easier to like play ball with or do sports with. Yeah. Uh, would you say you have other types of connections with him?
1: Oh, for sure. And he he leans on me for very different things. It's just I feel like I'm the last one to find out everything about him, including what girlfriend he's interested in. <laughs> and I just like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm your dad. You're supposed to come to me like I'm We're going to talk about this stuff. And he talks. Lindley has to tell me everything. It just kind of drives me crazy.
0: Well, I think so. This might be one of your limits. This might be one of your limits in your relationship with him that you don't love, uh, but that he's saying like, hey, this is how I roll, right? I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I just, last time I told him, last time we had this conversation, I just said, look, I am here anytime you want to talk. You know I'm available to you if you have anything you want to chat about. Yeah. And he's like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> he is very similar to me in personality And so over the course of his uh-huh. life So many times I've said Hey, you know I I understand how you're feeling I, I know what you're processing right mm-hmm. now um, I know how you feel when that's being said Or different times And so I think just over the course of all these years He's heard me say that enough To where he's like I'm going to go say that. And mine and Ben's personalities are so different, and he and and some of the kids sure. relate better to Ben, you know, more fun loving type things. And so um, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me because um, I mean, I'm just so glad he's talking to somebody. But I sure. understand, yeah. you know. I, he came down the other day and asked me something, you know, pretty private. And um, I was telling Ben about it, and he was like, "He asked you that? <laughs> like what? Yeah." Um, but. It's, I mean, I've, I find it really, in- I'm so glad he will talk to us, period, versus just not talking to anybody. So I'm thankful for that.
1: They don't always have the insight we want them to have. That's, That's good. Really yeah. good.
2: They don't.
0: And so often we can get into power struggles with our teens where you're like, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. And we're like, you do know. You have to know. How do you not know? Right. And we ended up in this mm-hmm. power struggle. Um, instead of creating a space, are like, okay, if you don't know, we'll figure it out together. Can I help you figure it out? Can we think about this together? Or are you just going to not know and struggle for a bit? And then eventually we'll figure it out, right? So so it has to be okay for our kids to maybe not know what's going. They're going through so much change, right? So these Facebook memories pop up, right? And you get pictures of like little child and how much they grow. Like mm-hmm. we forget they're growing so quickly. Um, they maybe literally don't even understand what it is that we're asking them to process
2: um, because it's happening so quickly. I'm really thankful you just said that because... Um, When I ask them a question sometimes and they say, I don't know, I I have more than a handful of times said, of course, you know, like, how do you not know what I'm asking you? And I mean, it's it's so helpful to hear you say, like, sometimes they really just don't know. They're, They're processing so much.
0: They are. And what we need to remember about teenagers especially is that their frontal lobe is not developed, right? So this front part of your brain that deals with like rational thinking, it's not fully developed um, until like your early 20s and later like, like like 23, 24 for guys, right? And so what's happening is that they're stuck in this emotional part of your brain, your amygdala. There's no quiz on this later. Um, and they get stuck there, right? So they're having these experiences that are like bathed in emotion, Right, and so they're maybe not even thinking with that front part of their brain. So we're asking them to provide a rational analysis of why well, you just did that thing that you did. No, like, I, I don't. I don't know. It was it was all emotion. That's helpful. That's really helpful.
2: Thank you,
1: Let's talk about real life and priorities. I hear what Doctor Warner's saying. I agree that God, family, church, but. We did ministry for 17 years in the local church. That's just not how it always works.
2: Right. It's also not how it always works at different stages of parenting. I mean, there were seasons when the kids were little. There was four of them. They were up all night. They were up early. And I would go weeks and months without really like a quote-unquote quiet time. Um, So then I would feel the shame of like, well, God's not first. Family's first. Um, So – I she is dead set, I mean, dead on with what it should be. It just can't always work out that way. So
1: sometimes family comes before God, but also sometimes church becomes comes before family. I can think of one moment we were doing a capital funds campaign at the church, and like I was out every night Mm -hmm. doing these you know pitches for why we needed to raise these dollars, and it was very draining to me because I'm not great at that anyway. And I just remember having like zero energy for the family for several weeks.
2: I'm thinking of the story. Yes, that's true. But also, when we were beginning to church plant, um, we had probably 25 dinners in in a month with families. And do you remember the last one? You just like oh my literally. Gosh. You're like, going
1: to bring that up on public radio.
2: It's. I mean, it was really funny. So we were having dinner with this family and. <laughs> By the end, I mean, Ben was so done. We'd done all these dinners, just kind of fundraising, talking to people about the church plant, and she had not even served dessert yet, and he got like, kicked back from his chair and like, well, on, we got to go.
1: <laughs> hold on. Okay. This is kind of like swipe right-left dating. It's like when you meet this person, you know within about three minutes if this is a good fit or not. I was at the end of my rope. We had It was a marathon, and we were at the very last, and we were basically interviewing families on whether they wanted to go and help us plant this church and i just didn't have anything left that night i never should have gone Mm -hmm. i should have just said i can't do it tonight but instead i left the conversation while i was sitting at the table and then i just left the room i
2: was (laughs) like you physically left (laughs) um but it was one of those moments where the kids were still i mean they were in elementary school we were dragging them to every dinner they were sitting at a kids table in another room kind of entertaining those people's kids And, um, but yeah, Ben just all of a sudden, like we were not even done with dinner and he was like, wow, this has been great. We got to go. And I mean, I was like, okay, she had like three cakes in the other room, you know, to be served. So this would be a perfect example of limits.
1: (laughs) Well, and I've actually learned how to deal with this in a public setting too. Sometimes I'm just done talking to people and I got to get to my car and I'm going to pass a hundred people and I really cannot talk to a single one of them. So one of the things is I'll just pick up my phone and act like I'm talking. <laughs> it works really well. And just be real animated as you're talking. So that it's an important conversation. Get to the car and then just put it down. Or when I'm with you, what do I say? I'm like, hey, talk to me the whole time. We make eye contact. Just keep talking, just talking just to keep me. Talking. Yeah, just keep
2: talking. <laughs> In fact, at the Southern Baptist Convention this year, you had to—I uh, think you had to go to the bathroom so bad—and yes. you were like, um, "Where's my phone? I need—I've got to get to the restroom." So I gotta—I gotta look like I'm talking to get there. I,
1: I walked really briskly, like I was on the way to an important meeting or something, and give was some, able to get give to the me restroom. somebody, anybody. But again, it's like we know when we've hit our limits, and if we're wise, we we just call it for what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Her comment about words, words, more words—it made me feel convicted about. We had a practice for a while there of getting our family together at night, at 9 o'clock, and just sitting on the couches, turning off TV, and just talking. Yeah, We called it our closer.
2: Right. We would just text the family and say, it's time for the closer.
1: And we would just debrief the day. Sometimes we would read a passage of Scripture, but a lot of times we would just talk.
2: We had the family—I the, mean, the feelings wheel. So they'd have to pick a feeling sometimes. Remember when Kyle and Christine Hoover talked about the feelings wheel on episode 9?
4: But on the way home, I'll, I'll stop at this elementary school that's right by our house. And I literally will pull out of, on my phone an emotion wheel or a list of kind of like emotional words. And I'll, and I'll think of what are those top two things of, of how of, I'll kind of mark through my day and kind of consider it and be like, all right, well, these are the two words I'm going to share with her. And so I'll go home and, and more so than just what we used to do, which is mark through with the events of the day. I'll, I'll share my two words. Wow. And then, and then she'll be like, the immediate question is, why did you feel that? And then we'll talk through. And it's just led to tons more relational and emotional intimacy, because we work with, we start with how we felt and what happened. Mm -hmm. And so...
1: That's awesome. Kyle, can you give us a word you gave her recently? Like, what's something you felt recently (laughs) that you shared that's not too... I told her,
4: I told her that as this week has progressed, my emotional words have been gotten increasingly, as we like to put, negative. And so yesterday was frustrated and sad. You know, and so over the course of yesterday, you know, I, there was just found out some folks leaving our church because of different reasons that mm. made me sad, but also misunderstandings and mischaracterizations of, of who I am and who I, what I said in different meetings that left yep. me frustrated. Yes. And so those were my two words for the day.
1: And I, I'm really feeling like after talking to Dr. Heidi, we need to get back to some kind of just regular come together at night and just use words just make the boys use words Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking to Jack the other day and I was like tell me anything about your day I don't care what it is something and he really struggled to think of one thing Mm. and then he told me something that was just like you know I really like sleeping in today (laughs) (laughs) and I just had to take that as a win he shared something Uh, But I'm finding with teenagers especially, like, just getting them talking is the greatest challenge. And sometimes it turns into more and sometimes it doesn't.
4: Yeah.
2: I I was thinking recently, I may have shared this on here before, but there was a point to where I was picking up Miles and Jack after school. Um, It's about a 30-minute drive. And I said, you can either talk to me the entire way home or we're going to run a bunch of errands. And, man, they'd start, like, (laughs) maybe it's bribery, but they just started ripping off things like, oh, in first period this happened and second period this happened. Yeah. Um, and so that was really a fun season for me of, you know, I mean, I still ended up going to the grocery store by myself, but still, you know what I meant?
1: That's good. So here's the second question we had. How does a parent know if their child is suffering from mental health issues versus just like, this is the stress of growing up?
0: Oftentimes there's overlap and oftentimes it can start as normal stress and then escalate into a mental health issue. So when I have someone in my office and I'm going through, um, my initial interview, my questions about, okay, what's going on? Um, the things that there's a couple of things that I'm looking for, right? So I'm looking for how intense, um, are the symptoms? So are, is their anxiety interfering with their ability to go to class? Is it interfering? With their ability to get their schoolwork turned in, is it disrupting relationships? Has there been a change in behavior? So I'm looking at that intensity. I'm also looking at duration. So how long has this lasted? Is this just a one-week episode because they just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Or has this level of distress been going on for a month um, or for two months? Um, and then how disruptive is it to their life? Right, So maybe it's really intense and they're like crying at home, but they're still turning their work in. Right, um, But if they're not doing their chores, they're not successful at school, they're not making it to their job, they're isolating, then, then I would be concerned as a parent. What's the first step to take if they're, if they're noticing that? The first step is just maybe checking in with their teen and just offering empathy. Right, They're like, hey, I know this, things are hard. And I know that you're probably trying your best right now and you just get the things that you've done before to make things better in your life just aren't working right now. And the things that we've tried to give you, the, the support we've tried to put in place, nothing seems to be working. Um, what would you think about going to talk to a counselor, right? There are some um, kids who don't want to talk to a counselor. And if you're forcing your child to go to a therapist, um, it's likely not going to be super helpful, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, I there's nothing magic about what I do. Um, I could only work with what people give me, right? So if you've got a teenager who's just sitting there staring at me, I, I can't be helpful. But maybe you can talk to your teen and say, okay, hey, I know this is really weird, right? Just right off the bat, it is weird. This is not normal. This is very strange to go into a therapist's office, and they will ask you about all the hard things, and you're expected to tell them. That's weird and very uncomfortable, right? Right. You want to own that right away. But then saying, hey, can you try it for three or four sessions? Hmm. Can we just agree that this is an experiment? It might be helpful. You might also hate it, right? But can we at least try it? And then you're giving it a, a fair chance. The other thing I like to tell parents is to like slow play it, right? So say it might take a while for you to find a counselor who you like. It might take you a while to find a counselor who you click with. So let's just give this person a try, you know, see what you think. Maybe you connect, maybe you don't. Uh, But if not, there's someone else we can try. And if they actually hate counseling, maybe it's a mentoring relationship more intentionally um, in your community.
2: Is there an age breakdown of where you begin asking them versus telling them? Because, I mean, you know, some are so young that they probably just need to go. At what point do you say, um, would you like to go see a counselor?
0: It is so hard with teens because you you certainly don't want to make mental health healing a power struggle. Uh, so I, I would say use your best discernment with your kids uh, about where they're at with their age, but maybe even with your teenager, instead of saying, would you like to go, you say, um, this is something that I think you really need to try. And then And then you talk about, okay, what... How can you make that work for them? Maybe mm-hmm. they don't want to miss school. Maybe they want to go after school. Maybe they don't want to miss sports. Right? Maybe you let them miss their least favorite class to go to a counselor, and so their secondary gain there. It doesn't matter. Get them in the door.
2: Um, what do you say to the ministry parent who's concerned about the perception of men- of mental health?
0: That's so tough because there will always be someone who judges you about whatever you're doing and at some point other people's opinions of us is not our problem yeah. is um, hold on hold some, on hold on I'm tweeting t- I'm, t- I'm tweeting, at, at I'm tweeting point, that
1: real quick what was that again at um, some point
0: other people's <laughs> at some point other people's opinions of us are none of our business yeah right and it's tough when people make it your business in ministry right um, but at some point they're not your in your life. They're not dealing with your child. If they don't understand mental illness um, as a believer, um, then, then there's a whole other thing that, that we need to talk about, right? Because we recognize as believers that the fall impacts us physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. And in all of those areas, we can be broken, and, and mental health is part of that, right? So our theology sets us up to recognize that mental health is struggles are a thing, And if that's the thing we're dealing with, we need to get help with that thing, and it's okay.
1: Hmm. What I'm about to say is so true, and I have a hard time applying it, but someone told me this years ago that you wouldn't worry about what people think of you if you knew how seldom they do. Um, Because That's
0: true too, right?
1: Sometimes we're over here wondering what so-and-so thinks about us, and they're not really even thinking about us. We we need to be focused on our kids and what's best for them and not worry about what other people are saying.
0: And that gets back to your family has to be a priority. If you lose your job because you take your child to a counselor, that is not the right job for you.
2: Right. Hmm.
0: Right? If people judge you or alienate you because you're doing what's best for your child, um, because they have some mental health struggle or, or they have to do inpatient or, or there's something really intense going on, they're missing it, right? And you have to do what's right for your family.
1: This last question is is important because we have so many people who serve in the church. What do you think are the unique mental health issues that ministry families have to pay attention to?
0: I think it's really easy to hyper-spiritualize bad boundaries. Interesting. And so I think it's really easy to say, oh, no, you have to serve in the church. You have to show up. Um, you have to do all the things, exactly what we're just talking about. Ministry families fall into this overworking beyond their limits for good reason. It's because people expect it and they say, no, this is the, it's the Christ-like thing to do, to serve other people all the time with no breaks. Well, that's not actually true, right? We, we see Jesus himself leaving people on the shore of Galilee to go out in a boat and to take time with his disciples. And if Jesus needed to take time away, certainly we do too, Right, So we have to be very careful that we're not um, letting people spiritualize bad behavior.
1: That's good. Mm -hmm. I have a game I want to play.
2: A game? Okay.
1: It's called Confess Your Bad Boundary. (laughs) I'll go Mm. first. I'll go first. (laughs) I feel a lot of shame at night sometimes because Lindley really would love to talk. And Uh I have talked to people all day long. And when I talk to her, I know it's going to have caused me to have to think again about all the stuff I've thought about all day. And so I just hole up and shell up and watch Family Feud. <laughs> and that's not good. So, counselor lady, how do I fix that?
0: <laughs> so this is a limit that you have, right? You have significantly less words than Lindley does.
2: And <laughs> first of all, that's okay. That's actually not right? true at all. He just has to be okay. He talks way more than me. He just, he just is tired by the end of the day. Yeah,
1: I've already given them all away.
2: Oh, you've used them all, right? So you've
0: yeah. not saved any. You've not saved Correct. any for Lindley, right? hmm Okay? So, so that's a limit, though, right? Um, that you have all these words. They're already used up, and you're exhausted at the end of the day. Um, so you've got a couple options. One, recognizing that this is a real limit. Right. It's just kind of the way things run. Um, and do you need to schedule breakfast dates with Lindley so she can get her words out and, and chat with you and get some of your time?
1: Oh, I like breakfast. Right?
0: Or or do you need to cancel your four o'clock, right? And come home early so the two of you have time to chat?
4: I like right? the so breakfast. So within idea your better. limits,
0: You'd like that better? Yeah, really, because I think?
1: think if I front load time with her and we, you know, it's kind of like getting exercise out at the beginning of the day. Like, I feel like if I wait till the end of the day to give her my words, there's a 50% chance I won't have any left.
0: Right. So here's the thing. So, so oftentimes we feel like the solution is, well, you just need to get better. You just need to listen to her at night. You just need to have more words and you just right. need to fix that because the nighttime is clearly the best time to debrief. But recognizing your limit means like, nope, this is the limit you have. Let's not make it anything worse than it is. But how can we creatively work hmm. with what you've got and make it work for you
1: guys? I think that's a great advice because I know a lot of pastors that struggle with this.
2: Um Can I chime yeah. in on the advice?
1: Yeah, but you got to confess a yeah. bad boundary. No,
2: but first. <laughs> Shh, don't,
1: be, don't be judging me. <laughs>
2: but first, that's not always my best time, breakfast. I have a job. Um, I have... Like, four teenagers, that kind of thing. And so, for me, that's where mm. I get frustrated because, like, it's how he communicates. It's how we communicate. Like, when he's fresh, we talk. Ooh. When he—
1: that Did you, uh. feel, did you hear a little bitterness in there?
0: <laughs> I heard honest communication. Thank no you. No judgment to honest
1: communication.
2: Thank you. You paid her. Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> um, so— so that's what's hard is that, you know, that's not my, I'm not a morning person. And so that's not my best time. That's my time, like heads down, working on my computer, that kind of stuff. And so to feel disrupted yeah. with a breakfast is very challenging for me. Um, but so it, that's, the, that's the rub for us is where do we do that? It's true. Um so anyway,
1: we're, we're midday people, but
2: right. So that could be a terrible idea as, as a, as
0: a counselor. I have lots of terrible ideas oh, because yeah. I don't know what works for you guys. Oh, no, right? no, no. Yes. So, I mean- so that's okay. Because so that's okay. It's okay that breakfast doesn't work for you, but then you get to say that. So it would also be a, a terrible boundary for us to have decided. Yep. Breakfast is when Ben works best. Lindley, you get to show up and talk with him at breakfast. Yeah. Right. Um, That also is is not great. Instead, being able to negotiate back and forth. Mm. Um, Boundaries, healthy boundaries are really about negotiation until you get to that point. Okay, well, what's going to work? And maybe one thing that works for you this week is not going to work in your schedule next week, but you
2: can talk it through recognizing your limits. I agree with that. That's good.
1: Okay. Who else has a bad boundary? Are you
2: talking? Is it my turn? Yeah. (laughs) Um, My bad boundary is, so I'm by nature like a fixer. If I see a problem, I feel Uh. like it should be fixed. Um, and I actually am seeing a therapist by myself for the first time. And, you know, she's kind of like, she, she admitted that she was similar to me. And so every morning, instead of like only a blessings list, you know, that is not, is not authentic to who she is, she writes down like three blessings and then three things to fix. And beyond that, it's the rest of her day is just whatever happens in the daytime. Um, but where I don't have boundaries is that, Every problem I see, I take it upon myself to be a part of the solution, mm. versus just saying this is not a make-or-break issue. Like, take your hands off of it; it's not a big deal. Yeah, and that's hard because God, God wired you
0: to be a fixer, mm-hmm. right? And so, so that's not inherently wrong or pathological. Uh, but how do you steward that well, recognizing that there's a time and a place to fix? But sometimes the people in your life just want to say, like, Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Let's go get some ice cream. that's terrible let's go for a walk right sometimes the most important thing we can do with people is just show up and do something different right sometimes feel like there's problems you can't solve a hard marriage in in one coffee Mm -hmm. right but you can say i'm in it with you for the long haul today today our work is just to be and go buy flowers that's my solution to everything go buy flowers more flowers all the flowers
2: (laughs) oh i like that
1: that's
0: awesome i like
2: flowers yeah, I get that. I mean, and That's like even great great solution. Sometimes with friends, they'll text me something and I start writing out this long response of how they should fix it and then I al- almost always say delete it all and say I'm so sorry. Like I can't Perfect. get in. I have I have enough of my own problems. I'm like I cannot get into fixing everybody else's problems like it would take me all of my life.
0: You can't fix other people's problems. They have to fix them themselves and and so we can be present, we can be encouraged, we can be supported, but ultimately it's on them.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, even the cobbler has holes in his shoes, so come on. That's mm, true. Fess up.
0: <laughs> I I am an extrovert, and I will frequently want to be out doing the things, and my husband and son are both homebody introverts, mm. right? So I have to be careful that I'm not saying yes to all the things out doing and being, and I'm not I'm stewarding well uh, those relationships closest to me, right? Mm. So I have to recognize that while I want to— plan all the things and do all the things, I I need to be home. And I need to make sure that they're not feeling the pressure to live up to my extrovertedness because they just can't hang.
1: Do you get (laughs) restless at home?
0: Uh, As I've gotten older, I've become better at that. I I feel like I'm becoming, I have always been extroverted, but I'm learning to value the solitude because um, being a psychologist is similar to being in ministry, Right. There, there's lots of problems to fix. There's lots of outpouring. Um, but they're one way relationships. Right. And so I've learned to value my time at home. Uh, someone once told me if you work with your mind to play with your hands. And so I try to mm. make sure I've got time working with flowers, doing crafts. I've never met a craft I don't like. Um, doing something creative. Right. Not usually cleaning. I don't usually do that. Um, but for sure, something creative. That's right? really and good so advice. Being at home being creative, and doing something that uses a different part of my brain. If I'm um, left brain all the time, I need to make sure I switch over to that, that right brain side um, and just not think, just be.
1: That's really good.
0: I liked that advice. I've never heard that before. If you
1: work with your mind, play with your hands.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, do something tangible. Do something creative That's that, again, moves you from that more logical thinking thinking side to that that creative side. And you don't have to be good at it. You can do bad creative things, right? You can do art poorly. Just do something creative with color.
1: Work with your mind, play with your hands. That's really convicting because I work with my mind all day long and then I get home and I want to read.
2: No, you wake up. You wake up before you're going to work with your mind. And read. And you read for like two hours before the day begins.
1: I love working with my mind. It's my favorite way to work.
2: What would you do if you could play with your hands?
1: Um, Well, I've been noticing lately, like, Robbie Gallaty's been putting this on his Instagram. Like, he does woodwork now. Like, Hmm. I think that's really cool. He's been making tables, and like, I don't think I could ever do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm just thinking, like, what would be something I could make or create with my hands or do something that's, you know, tactile that's fun for me? Um, physical. Or physical, you know, just getting out and doing something with your body, with your hands. But it's got to be—it's got to be something you enjoy, right? Or you're not going to keep doing it. You know, he obviously loves it. He's, you know, showing all of his new furniture off.
2: So you don't have any ideas what you would do? I don't know.
1: You tell me. You know me better than me.
2: <laughs> I know you better. Than you. I have no idea.
1: You've really failed in this area. You've not been able to motivate me to do a lot of. Th-
2: I think you're actually just really stubborn in this yeah, area. I
1: think you're right. I know. I think you're right. But I do think that people who are healthy in ministry, like, they have figured out ways to turn it off.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't ever heard it said that way, and used to, I I mean, when, probably not until the, like the last five years have I liked flowers, and then all of a sudden, I think it's like a creative side of me that, um, you know, arranging flowers, even like the cheap ones that you can buy at Publix, um, I think that's been fun, and I've never thought of why, but I think because we do live in our minds all the day, all, mm. all the time. I like just playing with them.
1: Hmm. Well, I, I found that most pastors are pretty poor at it, too. We did a LifeWay research study, and 69% of pastors said that they feel guilty about the fact that they're not ca- taking care of their body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a large majority of pastors are saying, I'm taking really good care of my church, not doing anything for myself, my body. And over time, it, it's going to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Last question. Christian pastor comes up to you. You only have 60 seconds. He says, give me three tips for mental health. Like, what would you tell him?
0: Slow down. Practice solitude and time in the word. Recognize that your relationship with Christ is going to be what fuels your ministry, and that has to be a priority. And uh, focus on your thinking. A lot of times we can be reactive with our thoughts and, and we can can mind read what other people are thinking. And we have to take those thoughts captive by saying, okay, the truth is I don't know what they're thinking. The truth is, is that they can have an opinion about me that um, I'm doing a terrible job, but I know what my heart is before Christ. So really hmm. taking your thoughts captive and not entertaining um, the what ifs and the the catastrophic thinking and the the running scenarios that we all tend to do. That's great. Yeah, and then and then get good people, get good people around you, right? Mm-hmm. Have have good people um, where you can just be. I think Lindley, one of the things you said in that that podcast with uh, Vicky Gray was you like hiking with people who were not in your church. That's fantastic. We all need people who just let us be as a person who who do not define us just by the roles that we're in. That is incredibly important to our mental health. Mm.
1: Really good. Dr. Heidi, you're amazing. We got to have you back on. This is great.
0: I've loved it. My privilege to be here. Lots of fun.
1: Well, thanks for chiming in on a subject that, that we really get so many requests for, of just how to stay mentally healthy in ministry.
2: Did you say earlier to us that you have a radio show or a podcast of your own? So I do
0: a weekly radio segment on Life 107.1 here in the Des Moines area, and you can find that on their podcast. We can put that link up for people to follow. So what they do is we have our weekly um, segment that they run, and then they podcast it usually as a longer version. And so these are just three to four minute clips, just really mental health related about family, about relationships, um, about boundaries. Uh, So we try to hit a wide variety of topics in those... Just super brief segments. Awesome.
1: Great. Thanks awesome. so much for being with us. It's great to see you.
0: Yeah. Glad to be here. Great to see you guys too.
1: The Glass House is a production of Lifeway, produced and edited by Angie Elkins, sound engineering by Dale Sandberg, original music by Robert Elkins, photography by Rebecca McVeigh, and artwork by Heather Brzezinski. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrell.
4: Thanks for listening.